Hey everybody, you're very welcome to this very special episode of the Asking for a Parent podcast. It's me, Dr. Coleman Doctor, and it's a great pleasure to come and get a chance to chat to you again. Today's episode is a little bit different. Actually, it's quite a lot different to the most of the episodes that we've had so far. We oftentimes hear from parents and well-known Irish figures about their parenting journey and what it's like being a parent and the struggles that we as parents encounter when it comes to our children. But one of the things I think has always been really interesting in terms of my career is that I began my career as a psychiatric nurse, as some of you may know, or a mental health nurse, and gradually moved into psychotherapy and worked with children for the last 25 years. And working with children means working with families. And it's interesting that I find myself now in a space where parenting is oftentimes the association with, with my skill set. And I would always say that I kind of feel uncomfortable with the parenting expert uh, label or title, mainly because I'm not so sure that the perfect parent or there's such a thing as a parenting expert. But what I would always say is that I do find that my expertise comes from my experience of working with children. And that's really one of the reasons why I think today is such a good idea. I think as parents, we oftentimes expect our children to see the world through the eyes that we see it. And we can oftentimes assume that they should want, need, or desire, or think about the same things as we do. And we oftentimes forget that we were once children too. And I would say to you that all of the insights that I have around how to relate to children, how to communicate, how to understand, how every behavior has meaning, most of that was not learned through uh, a book or a course or a program. It was learned through hours upon hours upon hours of talking with young people and children about their experiences of the world. And I think what I would say is one of the most key aspects of my effectiveness as a child psychotherapist is trying to see the world through the eyes of the child. And I think from that point of view, because I value it hugely, and I think to a large degree, children are hugely honest. And I think from the point of view of when they speak, they oftentimes speak a truthfulness that is can be both poignant, uh, can stop us in our tracks, uh, but it's always educational. And one of the things over the last 12 months that I've really got upset about is that I believe the voice of the child has been dismissed, unheard, or certainly not given enough of an opportunity. And so the reason we decided to do this episode, which was to hear the voices of children, was one, to give them a platform to speak about how the last 12 months has impacted on them, but also for them to give us an insight as parents into what the world of the child or young person or teenager or young adult is. And so over the course of the next few episodes, we will record interviews, conversations, chats that have insights, interpretations, perceptions that will undoubtedly give you an insight into how 2020 and 2021 has been experienced from those in primary school, in those in secondary school, and those attending college. And I learned a huge amount from the interviews that I had with these young people, and I have no doubt that you will do the same. So without further ado, I'll let you listen to all of the young people that we interviewed, and I'll tell you all about who they are, where they come from, and what their perspective is. The first group of young people that we spoke to, we had gotten contact with Gareth Haverstam, who is a youth leader with a youth group in Kerry. And he had gotten contact with us when he heard we were doing the, the show about young people's voices and said that he had some young people that he knew that would be interested in sharing their opinions. So we got in contact and he very kindly organized for three young people, Aidan, Oriane and Alana, who are all different ages, to talk to us about their experiences. But first I felt I hadn't really got a great deal of insight into youth work and youth clubs. And so I decided to ask Gareth first about what his experience of youth clubs were and to explain to us as parents what youth groups might be like. And I think it's ever more important for us to have an insight into what these things are because the social development of children has suffered over the last year. The 
reintegration back into social norms and back into groups and back into all of those things is going to take some toll on them. And they very well need a degree of scaffolding or support around that. And I think the youth club or youth services or youth work uh, may indeed be something that would be hugely helpful to us in trying to do that. So without further ado, Garrett will tell you, and has he told me, about what youth work is and how it works. Okay, Garrett, tell us about youth work. What is the benefit of it? What is it? And for Because those of us, many parents might have heard the term, but are not sure. Is it like we might have an idea that it's like a club that people meet up in or kind of a social thing, but there's no great knowledge outside of that, uh, what the structures are and what's purpose is. So would you be able to tell us a little bit about youth work and what it's all about? Yeah. Um, so first of all, Colman, thanks very much for inviting us on this evening. Um, I'm delighted to be here. So I suppose I work as a youth work manager for the Kerry Darrison Youth Service. So we're a part of a national network of youth services covering the island of Ireland. Um, so I suppose it's, um, I think, made a really good point just about um, the knowledge on youth work, because as you say, a lot of people might have heard of youth clubs or youth cafes, but not really, don't really understand what youth work is. So basically, very simply put, youth work is the process where a trained youth worker, so a trained adult, would engage them with a the young person to help them sort of develop then in lots of different areas and with the, I suppose, with the overall outcome then of helping the young person and be the person they want to be. So youth work isn't, it's not the solution to all of the problems, but it's a part of the solution. And youth work complements what young people learn in school, what they learn at home. And so we, so youth workers would operate, I suppose, from a non-formal education background. So where, let's say, we might um, engage with young people through fun games, through um, different activities, but all along the young people would be learning. So even if I'm looking, let's say, at the members of our group here today, uh, let's say Oriane and Alana would have been involved in a group with us called Calling the Nog. So Calling the Nog is all about giving young people's voices um, and helping young people sort of express their own opinions. And youth work sort of supports that. And then let's say, even let's say in the school that Aidan goes to, we would have had uh, youth workers working at school around sort of helping the sixth class to go to secondary school so through transfer programs but it would never be sort of um like we don't teach as, as such like you know we would give young people the skills um for themselves like you know for them to learn themselves and we would sort of hopefully then support them in their own development so that's what youth work is so youth work is helping young people develop in the way that they deem is the most positive way to develop themselves and how would people find out if there's a youth work organization in their area or is there a way of there kind is, of being able yeah. to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I suppose um, there are a few um, organizations around the country that sort of um, that act as umbrella organizations for youth services. So the Youth Work Island website and also the National Youth Council of Ireland, uh, which is youth.ie, would have information about um, youth services across the country. And also there are youth services then that would specialise in certain areas. So let's say you know, we'd have organisations like Jigsaw belong to, um, that would specialise in working with particularly young people for a variety of reasons. So um, even if like, you know, even if parents or anybody listening to your podcast, if they want to find out about youth work, even if they Googled or went on a search engine and looked for youth work organisations in Ireland, then there's an abundance of, um, of organisations out there. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I think never more so than as we come out of a very social, isolated 12 months that there would be a need for something like that. And again, it's more structured activities to get people involved and and communicating again and maybe with a bit of help, because I think we can get used to cocooning and being on our own. and We may need that little bit of scaffolding to, to reemerge. So, yeah, let's check that out. I mean, I have to say, wouldn't have had an awful lot of knowledge about those services but delighted to hear the work that you do it sounds really good thank you for that thanks that was gareth hardsfeld there and he talked to us about youth work and youth groups and youth clubs and all the different experiences and he gave us a great insight into that but he also introduced me to three young people you're going to hear from now and that's adon orian and alana adon is a young man in primary school Oriane is a secondary school student and Alana is someone who's completed first year in college and just finished her leaving search. 
through last year. And I think these three young people represent a real age range uh, across three areas that have really been affected by the last 12 months. And they have some wonderful insights into life in lockdown. So what I did with most of the young people is I asked them a series of 12 or 13 questions about various different experiences. And the first question we asked was, what are the things you miss? And I asked them to specify between a person and an activity most over the last 12 months. This is what they said. Right, young people, if we're talking about the impact of the last year, what, and I'll go to you first, Aidan, what have you missed the most? And I'd ask you to tell me about a person that you've missed the most and an activity. The person that I've missed most is probably like one of my friends or something. And what about activity-wise? Football. Is that Gaelic football or soccer? I Gaelic football. And I'm guessing you would have been training like once or twice a week and then having matches and seeing your friends. And Oriane, how about yourself? What have you missed in terms of a person and an activity? Uh, I have relations in Waterford, so we wouldn't have seen them as often as we usually see them, usually two to three times a month, and we haven't seen them since October. So it's been hard. October, wow, that's a a good stint. And what about activity-wise? What have you missed? Definitely football. You're a footballer as well? Definitely. (laughs) And uh, what is it about the football that you miss the most? I think the social side of it and just getting to meet up with your team and training. Mm. And again, I think we sometimes think that sport's all about competition and winning and learning skills. But from the people I talk to, it is about social. It's about meeting your friends and having fun. And I think it's really important for us to keep that in sport as as long as we can. Because sometimes it can get serious too quickly, can't it? But um, yeah, yeah, and and lots of people have told me that they miss that. Alana, how have you been over the last year? What have you missed in terms of an activity? Or is there any person that you haven't been able to see? Um, yeah, definitely the person I miss the most is my grandmother, um, 100%. I used to see her every day, so now it's like once every two to three months I get to see her. So I definitely miss even hugging her. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pure softy. Then probably an activity then I would miss the most is definitely um, theatre. And I'm guessing with theatre, has that been very difficult? Has that been something that has been able to be continued over Zoom or something like that? Or is it all finished altogether? Yeah, you see, that's the difficult side of um, drama is that now it's over Zoom calls and it's been hard, like, you know, with Wi-Fi and everything knocking off. And some people then are in rural locations, so it's a lot harder. It's definitely different. And I can't say I'm a big fan of it myself, but sure, you kind of have to (laughs) get through it anyway. But I do miss that a lot. Sure. I think that would be hard to replicate on an online forum. I also asked four other young people who I know very well, named Odrin, Leila, Neve, and Izzy, about what they missed. And they're all 10 years and eight years of age. And they told me what they missed over the last year. My friends from school and doing football. Friends and going to places. School and seeing my friends and everything. I miss seeing my auntie and my uncle and my family and a sport I miss is soccer. What we're really seeing emerging here is a theme that children, young people and teenagers are missing family, they're missing their friends and they're missing the social elements of hobbies and activities and it's really interesting how that connection and social connection has really come to the fore as really something that's really primary in what they're thinking about. The next question I asked was around how do they see the world seeing them? And we talked a lot in the early parts that children were seen as perhaps vectors of the super spreaders of the disease. And I had witnessed some children coming to me in in my clinical work who had spoken about how they were uncomfortable being outside because of the way in which adults and grown-ups saw them. So I thought it was really important to ask that question. And the people I asked were a set of twins who are first year in secondary school now, who would have been one of those groups who passed from sixth class into first year or primary to secondary school uh, during the, the COVID lockdown. And Patrick and Keelan have some really interesting things to say about this. And in terms of, obviously, as young people, there's a kind of a, 
a vector narrative, which basically means that you guys are kind of super spreaders and, you know, that oftentimes you don't have to wear masks places and things like that. So is there, have you ever felt that people are kind of jumping out of your way or treating you differently because you're younger or is there kind of a, a, a way of people making you feel bad about it or has that been fine? Personally, not too much. Maybe like once, like every few weeks or something, there might be just one person. Normally it's someone like on the older side because they just don't want to get infected themselves. And have you taken that personally or just you put it down to their own anxiety? I put it down mostly to their own anxiety because like it's what they want to do at the end. So. And Keelan, yourself, any experiences like that? Uh, I mean, like a few, if you're in the shops, like an old person might just not like back away a little bit. And have you have you taken that personally or has it been OK? No, it's fine. I don't even mind. I can see where they're coming from. We then went on to talk about how many things over the last 12 months have been cancelled. And for children, albeit birthday parties, trips away, this has been a real feature. So we went back to speaking to Leila, Izzy and Niamh and Odrin about their experiences of missing out on things over the last while. What has been cancelled on you in the last year? School. What else? Like going to my friend's house or my friends going to my house. For me, um, like I used to always do like, like loads of sports during the week and now I like do two things. I miss the most is holidays and miss my family. Any cancellations, like any birthday parties or things? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. a hundred times yes. Uh, last year, like, uh, I couldn't have any of my friends over for my birthday party. So what did you do instead? Um, I just stayed home and um, we made a cake for me and I went to my nana's and we social distanced and we all ate cake. <laughs> cool. What I found interesting about that clip was how these terms like social distance, sanitize, have actually creeped into our social narrative so easily. Twelve months ago, we didn't know anything about social distance. And we hear the children talking about their birthday parties and having to social distance and having cake and how they've missed birthdays a million times. Yes, as one of them once said. So the idea that, you know, a birthday party may not mean that much when you're my age in your 40s, but I think... There's not been so many of them when you're eight. This is only going to be the eighth time this ever happened. And so missing out on those things, I think, um, has been a bigger issue than many would, would even suggest. And I think there has been an idea that, you know, we need to get everything into context. And once, you know, you're not in an ICU or you're not dying, well, then you should not complain. I think when we see the world through the eyes of a child, we see that very differently. And another big loss that I was really interested in finding out about was that transition from sixth class to first year, or more importantly, from primary school to secondary school? And so I spoke to Patrick and Keedlin about this, who told me exactly how they felt it went. So you're in first year, am I right in yeah. saying that? So would that mean that you guys were the sixth class of last year when this all hit? And can you talk me through what that was like in terms of missing out on the end of primary school? Um, it was very irritating because we missed out. In our school, we had a big trip at the end where you go away, but we, our year missed it. And we also missed our confirmation. And we didn't really get to say goodbye. And did you ever make your confirmation? Uh, we're making it soon, but the opening just hasn't opened yet. We haven't gotten time. And did you feel when you started in secondary school that you were a little bit unprepared or that you had missed out on something in terms of getting ready for it? Yeah, definitely. And how about you, Patrick? Uh, I feel like it was kind of a bit like hard getting back to school because having a few months off no school, it was just like everything felt much harder. But the teachers definitely did make it a bit easier because they knew that it would be harder. And it was really annoying that we missed the Delphi trip because that's something you kind of like you kind of know about since like first class. So that's something you're like thinking about since first class because like all the other ones just slowly get better until Delphi. The Delphi is like the Debs of primary school, isn't it? It's yeah. <laughs> I think Patrick and Keelan give us some great insights into the losses. I think when we think about something like the trip to Delphi, the traditional sixth class trip away, we kind of think, oh, look, it's a couple of days away. Again, kind of get over yourself being the idea around that. But 
as Patrick so beautifully put it, that's something you look forward to for years. So whether you miss out on senior cup rugby or your debs or whatever it might be, these are things that are they take time, they're, they're, they're investments and they're processes that the children are, are missing out on. But one of the things that I was lo- love to hear Patrick say was the benefits of the good teachers. And I've said it throughout the last year, as the adults in the room, it's so important that we are calm and supportive and listening. And really hearing that back from Patrick, who was clearly an anxious first year in new school, new geography. And he said the teachers were really accommodating of that. They took into account that they had missed out on that really important ceremonial ending of sixth class and were kind of thrust into first year. And really kudos to all the teachers out there because that's a real endorsement of the importance of that being that good adult. I then went on to ask some more of the young people about cancellations and maybe some of the things that made the last year more bearable. Maybe it was a staycation or a couple of days away when the, the lockdown released a little bit last summer. And here's what they had to say. Aidan, I'm going to start with you this time. Uh, yeah, my holiday got cancelled just before like COVID. I was supposed to go with my friends to Spain and the two families. I'm guessing that was lousy. How, how did you cope with it or how did you manage it? I was just sad. And did you get to go anywhere then when the lockdown lifted at the end of the summer? Uh, the camper van. I went in the camper van. Oh, excellent. Nice one. So at least it was something you were able to get some bit of a break. But, but that must have been hard when your holiday was cancelled, I guess. How about you, Oriane? Any cancellation of events? Uh, I feel like during the first lockdown, we thought it'd be the only one. So I suppose we had something to look forward to, to like concerts. But I feel like since they started to like become normal, I suppose, it's getting kind of lonely and you're not exactly looking forward to anything. Yeah, I think that we can't have become a little bit resigned to the fact that things are going to get cancelled or you kind of don't get too hopeful about things because maybe you're fearful of the disappointment of it being cancelled if that's fair to say so I'm not so sure that's a good thing I'd like us to be able to be hopeful but I understand completely when when things when we're in lockdown three you can get a bit deflated about it. This was a really important piece of information that Oriane shared with us there about becoming resigned and fatalistic that things are just going to get cancelled anyway. And so one of the things that we know is that hope can be a dangerous thing. And so we learn very quickly when we've had betrayals or disappointments that we try and learn not to hope or to avoid hope uh, and almost that kind of expect the worst and whatever thing will happen will be a bonus. And really upset me to hear that and I think Oriane speaks on behalf of many people, that that resignation and fatalism and the dangers and fear of hope that was coming into play, especially as we approached lockdown three and the accumulation of, of different cancellations. So a really insightful kind of view into the, the world of the teenager there. Next, we talked to Alana about her experience of cancellations, being mindful that Alana was a six-year student doing Leaving Cert last year and now is in first year in college. And here's what she had to say. And how about you, Alana? Have you had things cancelled or how have things been for you? Um, yeah, I've, I've had my 18th birthday cancelled. I've had my Debs. I've had my graduation, my leaving cert. Um, I've had a lot cancelled in the past year, but um, <laughs> just kind of trudging through it, I guess. It's been upsetting. But what I keep telling myself is that I'm grateful that I'm still here and that I have my family around me. So, I mean, we'll get to make up for those things, hopefully, in the long run. It's a very understanding outlook. I mean, I think the, the Debs and the Leaving Cert, and if you're that cohort who you kind of, you were hit badly by this. There was a lot of fairly core milestone events that had to be postponed on the, over the last 12 months. Has everyone or pals of yours reacted as well as you have or has do you think that has had an impact on people? Yeah, 100 percent. I know a lot of my friends had to take a year out due to the fact that since the Leaving Cert was cancelled, if people weren't too happy with predicted grades, they had to reset it. But in November, so people had to take a year out and that really hit hard for some people. Um, I know a few of my friends really wanted to go to college this year, but, you know, it's, it did affect them, some of them anyway. And then when it came to Debs being cancelled, there's a lot of people upset about that because our Debs committee kept pushing it off to maybe September, maybe October, maybe a winter formal. But it just, it never happened. So there was a lot of people upset about that. But I think a lot of people have been 
pretty much understanding of it too. And can I ask you, I, I, is it true that you'd start thinking about your Debs around fourth year? Like it's, there's a fairly big deal in the preparation for it, thinking about it, planning for it, shopping for dresses and all that sort of stuff. It's not just the night that you miss it. Is, is that fair to say it's a process? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. In my household anyway, it was definitely a thing because my mom herself, um, she never got to have her Debs because she was she was actually pregnant with me at the time. So she didn't, she didn't get to have her Debs. And then there was excitement in the house when I would get to have one. And then it never happened either. So it's kind of like, oh, do you know? <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, it, it's something you would prepare for and look forward to. Because like you said yourself, like even the picking out of dresses, even a suitor for the night, you know, but it's fine. <laughs> Alana gives us a lovely insight there into how loss is relative it's relative to where you are at in your life and I keep saying this but I think it's really important because uh, I was on a tv show recently where I spoke about the loss of the Debs and the leaving cert and first year in college and freshers week and there's quite a bit of trolling and responding on social media about how I was a snowflake and these were millennials and we weren't at war and that you know at least you're not dying but I think if it's the baseline is we're not at war and nobody's dying. It's ridiculously low in terms of our expectations of ourselves and other people. And I just think listening to the likes of Alana and Keelan and Patrick about missing out on Delphi trips, birthdays, leaving certs, Debs, these are all crucially important rites of passage. They're important one-off moments uh, in children's lives that really they've just been told to kind of suck it up and get on with it. And that brings us on to... How do we feel children have been hurt in society? And so I asked the young people, how do they feel like government, news, media, parents, and the grown-ups in society are listening to what they have to say? Here's what they had to say. Do you feel that children have been hurt in the discussions over the last while about schools closing, about things ho opening, homeschooling, all that sort of stuff? Mm, no, I don't. No, no, it depends on like, well, I really. Yeah. yeah. Do you think the government yeah, yeah. or the powers that be are listening to children? No. No. Really. No. Do you think young people or people of your age group have been heard? Personally, I think our age is okay, but it's more for our older sister who's 18 in sixth year. I feel like they kind of need a bit more of a say in lockdown rules because it's at, at the end, it's their leaving cert. So. If it's just going into the government, that's the government trying to look at a 18 year old's perspective when they should really be asking 18, multiple 18 and 17 year olds what they would prefer. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on. One of the areas where I think the voice of the child has been most unheard was around our decisions around education, around remote learning, blended learning, uh, school closures and the impact of all of that. So I then asked all of the young people, what was their experience of school closures? What was it like doing homeschooling? And what was their experience of being heard during that really difficult time? And here's what they had to say. So I'll ask you first on that one, Patrick. Uh, it's been quite boring and it's kind of annoying to like always having to remember it. And then you're just sitting up in your room. So there's a lot more distractions like your phone or just anything in your room. So it's quite hard to pay attention, kind of. So I don't feel like you're getting, you're learning, like taking in as much. And do you feel your enthusiasm is less when it's yeah. through? Yeah, I don't feel like I'm as like going into like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. It's more like, oh, I might do this. Like I might do it later or something. And is your blended learning, remote learning, is that live sessions all the time or how does it work? Uh, for me, at least, it's live sessions all the time. And like you have to, the teacher send out like a Zoom link and then you just join into that. And uh, how's it been for you, Keelan? Uh, yeah, they've, it's kind of hard because the best bit usually about school is going to see your friends, but you can't really do that as much because you're all behind separate screens. And it's definitely not as fun and as it's just not, it's kind of harder to learn and to like cooperate. And if you're in class, like obviously there's a bit of skitting and joking goes on and a bit of looking across and rolling your eyes and I don't yeah. know whether you pass notes or whatever anymore. Is there any space for you guys to interact 
in a non-structured way in the, the remote learning process? Um, not really, because if you do it, the teacher will probably see, and you can't really talk because then everyone would hear. It's just like a, a session of class and then it's over and you're gone. Yeah. yeah. Unless, unless the teacher splits you out into breakout rooms or you've like a project or a group work thing, uh, then that's where you kind of get it. But then sometimes you might get like a bad breakout room and no one has their camera on, no one has their mic on. So you're just sitting there doing your work or something. And what about the, is there any space for social chat? Um, well, cool bit, or did you have to do that all yourself? Um, well, we have SPHE and that's kind of, and we have some classes just going to that they split us into breakout rooms so we can talk to each other. Um, and yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. School closures and remote learning. In terms of how has that been for you? Have you been getting kind of seesaw or is it through? Yeah, seesaw. Uh, it's been all right. I find it hard to concentrate. So it's hard to stay concentrated and stay focused on things when you're not in a class and you're trying to do it from your kitchen table. Yes. And I think some people say, you know, that going to school is about mixing with your friends and you kind of put up with doing the work because you've got break times to look forward to or sports and things. So has it been hard for you to motivate yourself when you haven't got those things to look forward to? Uh, yeah, kind of. And has it been a difficult experience? Are you looking forward to going back to school? Or when are you back? Or have you an idea uh, when you're back? And Oriane, how has the remote learning been for you? I wouldn't consider myself the worst with technology. So it was okay on that side. But as you said, the social side and just not being able to concentrate was hard enough. And would you have had Zoom classes or Seesaw or how would it have worked for you? Uh, yeah, during the first lockdown, it was on and off Zoom, but this time it's Zoom every class for an hour. Is there anything built in to allow you to socialise or have any sort of a online social space or is it all just classes? They Sometimes during classes, they would do breakout rooms, so you get a chance to talk to some people in your classes. But overall, no, there's nothing put aside for us. And how about you, Alana? Are you in college or how's that working or... Has that affected you? Yeah, um, I've been finding it hard to have um, the motivation to actually get up early in the mornings and sit in front of the computer. Um, it's, it's tough being like in first year in college for the simple fact of the social aspect that you don't get to meet new people. But there is, uh, we use breakout rooms as well to try to get to know other people. And I think that's a, a massive benefit and that really helps but yeah, it's more trying to find um, motivation is definitely the hardest about remote learning. And do you feel that you've gotten a sense of being able to know anyone in your class in the sense of since through the remote communication? Um, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, for the simple fact that when we're in the breakout rooms, um, when we're talking, it's kind of like, oh, are, are you in the WhatsApp group chat for the subject? And you're kind of like, no, no, I'm not. So you you get to know people then through WhatsApp and then you're adding each other on Snapchat, Instagram. So you do actually get to know people through this learning. It, it's tough and it's um, a longer process to get to know people. But at the same time, I, you, you still get to you know, have some bit of a, an experience. Really interesting reflections there by the young people around the attention difficulties, trying to keep enthusiasm going. And I think we really have underestimated the impact of education. I think education is but a percentage of that is academic work. And so much more of it is the social, the developmental and the communicative interactive pieces. What all of the young people have said is that, you know, there was no real emphasis placed on the social connection. It was get the information across to young people uh, as accurately as possible. And there was no really adult free spaces for them to connect. So a lot of the onus of social connection was down to young people themselves. And, you know, I think from the point of view of if we have to learn something from that experience, I think we we had lots of conversation around, you know, how much academic fallback would happen. But I think we missed a trick here. I think the social, emotional connectedness, the energy, the enthusiasm. I always say I went to school to see my friends and I put up with the classes in between because I knew there was a little break or big break was coming and you know it really was the motivation and I think remove the motivation uh, you remove the incentive you remove the motivation and we really heard that from the young people and these were the young people who were getting zoom classes and they were getting some level of interaction so next we heard from the seesaw contingent 
who weren't getting Zoom classes, but were just getting that recorded material that they had to watch. So I asked the primary school children, how did they find this homeschooling experience? Like, I think homeschooling is really stressful and harder because, like, we have to do it online and sometimes our Wi-Fi might be bad or something. Homeschooling, it, um, it's, yeah, it's very, very, very hard. And um, also, it feels like you, ha you have more work as well. Oh, I think it's very hard because, like, if you had your teacher there, like, I'm in Irish school, so my teacher would know way more Irish than my mammy would, because she's teaching me. <laughs> when we recorded this, some of the young people had been part of the first group, the, the first class, and, or the second class and under, who'd been back to school. And one of the people who we talked to was Leila, and she'd been back already. So let's hear how she had found the first week back in school. What's the difference between going back to school? You've been back a week. Yeah, I've so been. Talk to you about that. It's a bit less harder. What's the good thing about being back in school? The good thing about being back to school is seeing all your friends. And I was worried you had to social distance from your friends. But do you? So, no. We had to stay in our pods and sanitize. Okay. The next question I wanted to ask the young people was the notion of pods and social distancing. And I asked them what they believed, the long-term impact of all this kind of learning these social skills or way of being in this kind of abnormal world. What did they think of it? And what was the lasting things that they thought might come from it? I might start with you, Oriane, on that one. Uh, as an old being an Irish person, shaking someone's hand is something that we, it's our nature. We would automatically walk up to someone and shake their hand. But it's been very different putting the elbow and learning all new ways to just say hello to someone. And when you're allowed to do it again, do you think you'll be hugging people and be grand with it? Or do you think you might be a little bit anxious about it? Not really, no, depending like depending who the person is, I suppose. Fair <laughs> point. And Alana, how about you? Yeah, I'm definitely the same. When I'm told I'm allowed to hug whoever I want, I'll be definitely out looking for hugs, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Excellent. The impact of social distancing, like not being able to hug your friends or shake hands after a match or whatever the case may be, how has that impacted on you? And do you think that will have any long-term effects on when you're allowed to do it again? Do you think you'll have any different difficulty kind of readjusting back to it? Yeah, I think it might be hard when we go back because it'll be so different. We've been so used to like staying away from each other, but it's been quite hard seeing and uh, not being able to see any of our friends only over like screens, which is kind of frustrating. And what about you, Patrick? Uh, it's going to take a while to get like back into like the run of things. And probably for like, after like matches or something, they're probably not going to make us go around and shake each other's hands just because they don't want to get like, they don't want to go straight back to normal. But uh, it will so be back to the elbow bumping. Though. Yeah. <laughs> but like in terms of like my friends and all, it's kind of a bit annoying. Because if I ever meet up with them, there it's either in like one place because that's only like that's only in our five k like both our five k's or I just can't meet up with them. It's hard because like we couldn't really like see our family like my nana I couldn't see her and my aunties and all. And you have a new baby yeah. in your house. And they live in England and they're not able to come home. So we can't, like, we won't be able to see it till it's like a bit older. What about the social distancing, the hugging, the shaking hands, any impact on that? It's really hard because you can't play with your, like, hug them and you can't go on play dates or restrictions have been very hard for children because sometimes they want to like go on holidays but they can't because we had to stay in our um five kilometer is he i think it's um really hard because one of my best friends in school i used to like ring her every night and now we're starting to like fall apart because we don't really get to call that much because my brother's normally using um the ipad so i can't really call her that much some really kind of interesting insights there from the guys around the impact of not being able to shake hands or not being able to do 
the normal things that we would do in social interaction. And I think Oriane made that lovely point about we're Irish. We're, we shake hands all the time. It's how we greet people. But what we also saw was a kind of a, I think, a clash of ideologies where, and I think this is something that may become a difficulty down the line when we are permitted to hug each other and shake each other's hands because we have the likes of Alana, who's clearly very social and wanted to get back hugging people. But I imagine there will be people out there who'll be quite a bit more reticent about it. And, you know, I was only talking there the other day about it's not that long ago since we all stood around a birthday cake and seven children kind of blew slash spit on the thing and we ate it. And I wondered, will that ever come back into play again? Will that ever be something that we won't be hyper-conscious of? And so, again, it's about as we return, what are the difficulties that are going to, to, that we're going to face? And one of those difficulties, I think, that has a more longer lasting impact than perhaps we even know is the concept of loneliness. And it's the one thing that I've felt personally uh, and within my own job and and within my own work that loneliness was a real part and parcel of 2021 so i asked the children what was their experience of loneliness over the last year the next question i have is about loneliness and oriana i might ask to you to start on this has there been a time over the last 12 months that you've felt lonely and what has been what's that been like definitely definitely when it was full-on lockdown you'd kind of See, when it was normal school, you'd be like, oh, I could see my friends tomorrow, I have football, but there was nothing. You'd be like, oh, I'll see them on FaceTime for maybe like an hour, but like, what am I going to do before that? What am I going to do after that? So I think it has been a bit lonely, but. And do you think that's probably gotten worse as the year has gone on because of the, the length of time that it's that it's happening or has it gotten easier to manage? Um, Since they have allowed you to have like a bubble, uh, it's has gotten better you can see one friend go for a walk social distance so I think it has gotten a bit better to be honest good excellent and Aidan you'd mentioned that you miss your football and your sport and and catching up with the pals have you gotten a bit lonely over the last 12 months has that been something you've struggled with uh no not really because I mostly like talk to my friends on the playstation and I have a dog and my brother to play like football outside and stuff so a sibling a PlayStation and a dog. They're the coping strategies to keep you busy. And you would be surprised, Adam, that's come up so many times in the people I'm talking to. They're saying, dog, fantastic. Being able to chat to my pals on PlayStation has kind of given you a, a breath of fresh air. And even though your siblings can annoy you sometimes, it's nice mm-hmm. to have one around to kick a ball with. So delighted to hear that. Good for you. Well done. And Alana, how about you? Loneliness, has that been an issue? Um, well, having a dog has certainly helped. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I guess I have um, throughout this whole thing. I've had a lot of friends who've had different opinions about being in a lockdown. I've, had, I've lost a few friends due to my sternness when it comes to abiding by the guidelines. I have a vulnerable person living with me at home, so I kind of am a bit tight about it. So I have lost a few friends down to that, and that can be lonely you know, going for walks with the dog and I have a neighbour who I have a social bubble with. Um, seeing her, it helps too. So it, it's not been too bad. It is getting better because, you know, there's hopefully a light at the end of this tunnel. So and definitely not with us because we've had each other and it's quite easy because we, d- we do the same things. We're quite similar. But I know other people who have had a hard time because they might be an only child. Now, I was just going to say, I think being twins, obviously, and siblings, but do you get sick of each other as well? I mean, I'm... Yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> like, like, every, like... You said that too quickly, Keelan. Like, <laughs> most nights, I'm either playing with, like, my friends or I'm either playing with Keelan and Keelan, like, on our PlayStation, and Keelan can sometimes... She doesn't really like that because, like, she think, she wants to also play with me, but then at other nights, she goes up with on Zooms with her friends, so then I'm just, and if my friends can't play, then I'm just there like watching TV or something, which just isn't as fun, but it goes like both ways. And the online gaming thing, I mean, has that been a bit of a lifesaver in terms of you keeping connected with people? Yes, for me, definitely. Because uh, especially with like a few games, such as like Minecraft and COD, those, those two games have helped me a lot. And Rocket League for Keelan and me. And from the point of view of, um, I mean, for the last five years, you've been hearing people say, you know, come off your screens and go outside. 
and then for the last year people are saying come inside and go on your screens like what's that what's that like for you the does that sound a bit hypocritical or what's your thoughts on it uh for us because we kind of like doing our sports and all we go on like runs most weeks like uh for the last two days uh on like monday and tuesday i woke up early and went on a run before school and then keelan did like after school and keelan has done this thing like for the past three weeks going 50k 50k a week or something and uh it's it's good but then it's also bad because if you spend your whole day on the screen then you feel really fat and you feel like you haven't done too much but if it but then you also got to play with your friends so it's kind of fun so clearly loneliness was a feature for everybody and i think it was quite well captured by all the young people there even regardless of age the missing of family close friendships uh, grandparents, etc., and and even these clash of ideologies again around you know sticking to the guidelines and not. But one thing we did learn from talking to the young people was some of the benefits, the things that seem to help them with their loneliness. And ideally, we would try and see that to be the things that maintain their mental fitness. And interestingly, they seem to be a theme of siblings, which is interesting enough when oftentimes siblings are kind of killing each other most of the time. It's nice to see that over lockdown, that was something that they were glad of, glad of the company. Gaming, uh, online gaming, having uh, an ability to stay in contact with their friends. And again, as someone who has kind of spoke very critically about the impact of, of online gaming and technology on young people's mental health, I think in the last year I've had to do somewhat of a U-turn on that. And I think the idea of being able to connect on some level is in many ways, as we've had to do over the last year, compare it to it's better than nothing. But interestingly, the presence of the pet was the one thing that the young people unanimously seemed to think was a great arrival. And the uh, arrival of a dog for her to walk, to keep company, to uh, entertain uh, and to mind and nurture uh, seemed to be a real saving grace over 2021. The next thing I wanted to talk to the young people about was the social currency of conversation. As an adult, I think we have found it difficult to engage in just chit chat, shoot the breeze, and mostly because there isn't an awful lot happening in our lives. We haven't got holidays to look forward to. We're not having nights out. Sport is at a minimum. And so what's happened is I've noticed that sometimes conversation is something that is endured rather than enjoyed. And I wondered if this was the same for children. So I asked them, how has conversation, communication and social interaction been for them since lockdown? Here's what they had to say. And do you find it hard to talk about people when there's not a lot of things happening? So there's no parties or sports or things like that. How do you find getting conversation more difficult? Yes. Yeah, yeah, very, very. If I went on FaceTime to my friend, we wouldn't really have anything to talk about. And do you think FaceTime is any good for someone of your age? Yeah. Better than nothing. Because this is a parenting podcast, I thought it would be really useful to ask the young people how their parents have been doing. And throughout the podcast, we've spoken a lot about, as parents, how we don't catch our children being good. And I thought maybe this is the reverse of that. Maybe we don't hear very much from our children the things that we do well and maybe our children are not great at catching us as parents being good so I asked them what did your parents do over the last year that helped the situation of coping with lockdown to make it a little bit easier here's what they had to say what have your parents done that was helpful in the last year to support you um well they've kind of like set up game nights sometimes like with our family like we've done cahoots and stuff which was really fun and then they've also like given that we also have a dog that they got us just before lockdown started, I think, or a bit before. And he's helped out a lot. Tell me about the dog. Uh, yeah. uh, well, it's very nice because he's a very cute dog and you just you're filled with happiness every time you see him. So and, it's very nice. And he's not like a huge dog, so he doesn't really get in the way. He's He's a very small dog. And then you can just like laugh at him because if he goes like outside and he comes back in completely filthy or if he just like starts eating some like cabbage or something you find it kind of funny so it just brings a bit of happiness to the house oh, i love that fills you full of happiness when you see him and obviously in the interest of balance we asked the young people and children 
what their parents did that was maybe unhelpful in terms of allowing them to survive lockdowns and COVID. And they had some interesting insights to contribute on this one. I might start with you, Oriane, on this one. In terms of adults, uh, what do you feel they don't understand about what it's been like for young people? Because I think there has been maybe, you know, people are saying there's people in ICUs and, you know, so you're missing your sport, kind of get on with this sort of thing. But is there things that they don't or do understand or has there been anything that parents have done for you that has been helpful in terms of over the last year that has really kind of meant something that has really made it easier for you? Yeah, definitely. Like you'd be facing six hours a day looking at screens, uh, two hour FaceTimes. So I definitely feel like they'd be encouraging us to go out for walks, to be going out to play football. And then when you go out, you feel 10 times better. So I think the encouragement was a big part of it. So giving you a bit of direction and to, to go out and get some ex- exercise and to get some fresh air uh, and encouraging yeah. you to do that. Excellent. How about you, Aidan? How, how has mum and dad helped over the last year in terms of supporting you to, to, to get through it? What's been useful? Uh, going to the park, we uh, taking my dog for a walk and stuff. So putting in activities and things to do and structuring the day a little bit and giving you things to keep your mind occupied. Brilliant. Excellent. And Alana, how about you? What's been helpful for you from the point of view of there'll be parents listening to the podcast here? What would your suggestion be in terms of because we do get a lot of people saying, you know, grown up children living at home is not easy either because, you know, they probably stay up all night and sleep all day. And, you know, they've been, you know, they're they're kind of over 18 or they're adults, but they're still under my roof. And there's all that sort of stuff going on. How has that been for you or what how have your parents helped and what have they done that's been helpful for me anyways definitely come on we're going for a walk type thing because you know even as you said there you're like you're 18 so it's kind of you're an adult living under the house and you can get very you know kind of sucked into your phone and my parents attitude is just come on we're going outside all of us for a family walk and I think that really helps also just how they helped with the cancellation of certain events with my 18th my parents really pushed out the boat there they went over the top they brought flowers to the house and everything ordered in things for me like they made a big deal out of it which was really nice and something I will look back on so I think that really helped your screensaver has your 18th birthday sash and a balloon and <laughs> your parents so yeah. we're, all, we're all made aware of how much of a deal that was it's lovely <laughs> Yeah, but I, and I think that you make an important point there about, you know, doing something with young people rather than sending someone outside to do something, say, come on, let's go together. I think there is something about that. What is it that your mom and dad or parents do that's helpful over the last year that has helped you to feel better? Support me and help me. Um, my mommy is like letting me off at like staying up late now and all that sort of stuff. They're um they're helping me get through my schoolwork um better now and yeah they're like more helpful and they like let me get away with things more. <laughs> <laughs> what works and doesn't work when it comes to your parents' approach to things that you're struggling with over the last twelve months? Because there's going to be parents listening to this. So what advice would you give them about things that are good ideas and ones that are not? Uh maybe to give us maybe a little bit more time on the screens just so we can like play with our friends or talk to our friends and maybe not make us do as many chores around the house. It's definitely a big one. (laughs) I would say to learn the fundamentals of the game about like it has to save for or else you have to do all that work again or the game has to finish like you can't just hop off straight away because then you might have like really bad you might lose a rank or something in it so it's only like each game is around like five to ten minutes, so it's not too long if you think about it. I think the argument is that if you came into a room and they were in the middle of their Netflix series and it was getting to the really important part and you just went over and switched off the TV, they'd be equally annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a perfect way of putting it. <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm a fan of countdowns and saying you have five minutes, you have ten minutes, you've whatever, rather than just coming in and plugging out. Patrick makes a really interesting compliment here, what he says about, you know, when we go in as adults and just say, turn that off in the middle of a game and 
his plea to parents to understand that sometimes you have to tidy up the game or you have to save it or you have to load it. And that oftentimes when we're just announcing that the thing has to go off, that it can be quite disruptive. And he certainly seemed to jump on the idea when I said it would be like if children went in as parents were watching the middle of their Netflix series and just pressed stop in the middle of it. So there was something about uh, that example that he certainly could relate to. But also we asked about, you know, in terms of did adults understand how difficult it was for young people and children over the last year? Because I think sometimes we have this saying that, you know, kids are resilient. And I think, yes, that's probably true. But there's some ways that's a bit of an out where it kind of gives us an idea that we don't have to do anything about it. And I think that's far from the truth. So I was asking them about whether they felt that the adults in their lives had a good understanding of just how tricky the last 12 months have been. What do you feel adults don't understand about how hard the last 12 months has been for all of you? They don't understand that, like, the, they kind of put some pressure on us with the work, but, like, um, it's sometimes really hard and, like, you don't really know it, but um, it's good that they can, like, sit down and help you at least. It's very, like, stressful because, like, no, it's just stressful. Because mm. I think they, do you think adults kind of go, oh, there's people dying, so you just have to get on with it, even though you can't do your sports and all that sort of stuff? Or do yeah. you feel that they get it, how difficult it is? No, not really. Not really. A really interesting insight from the Seesaw group there around homeschooling and how perhaps it was felt that parents thought that they should be able to get on with it. And then, Maybe their lack of enthusiasm or difficulty was more that they were finding the work hard and actually it was challenging to do it and that they needed a little bit more help with it than perhaps we thought. And as a parent who was homeschooling, I found myself getting increasingly agitated with further requests for pencil pairers and whatnot. And maybe in hindsight was perhaps less than helpful in those regards as well. But that was a really interesting insight that that age group kind of felt you know, maybe we could have a little bit more compassion around the homeschooling things. And they seem to benefit a little bit or seem to want and be grateful for the extended bedtimes and the perhaps less chores. The next thing I wanted to ask the young people, and it's a question that I think comes in all the time is from parents around, you know, how do we get somebody to do something? How do we get buy-in? And Parents see themselves as trying to be encouraging and you, the feedback from young people is that they're being nagging and there's a very different experience of being encouraged and being nagged. So I took this opportunity to ask the young people, what's the difference? To, because there's going to be parents listening to this podcast. How do you explain to parents what the subtle difference is, is being, from being encouraged versus being nagged? And they had some really interesting and fun insights into this one. This is a question that I get asked all the time. I'm going to use this opportunity to ask anyone who wants to chip in on this one. What's the difference between a parent encouraging you and nagging you? How would you decipher the difference? Because the, sometimes we don't want to be nagged, but we do want to be encouraged. So how would a parent encourage rather than nag? What's, how do they get that right? Anyone want to chip in on that? I think when parents nag, it comes across as in... Um, very dominant they kind of they'd be they'd be a lot louder when they're saying it and um, whereas encouragement would be you know they're being friendly um they have a very soft voice in them and they're saying you know what you look you look a bit down today maybe nice it, be, it would be nice for us all to go for a walk together and then nagging is just like come on get out type thing so I think there's definitely when it comes to um the tone of your voice <laughs> so how it's said as opposed to what's being said is probably what you're saying there exactly uh, Orianne you're nodding there would that be something you'd agree with oh definitely 100% I definitely agree with what you just said and you, you make a very good point there because I'm the very same if someone asks me to do somebody and somebody tells me to do something they're very different things uh, so if someone says come will you put out a bin if you wouldn't mind I'm far more likely to do it with a smile on my face than someone saying take out the bin uh, and I absolutely appreciate your point there. Now, that's brilliant. We found that the questions were a little bit focusing on the negative. And so we decided to try and inject a bit of optimism into the questions. And so the next question I asked the young people was what they were looking forward to most once these restrictions were lifted and once 
permissions were were able to get. And you know, I was probably expecting a different set of answers than the one that I got. I think I was probably expecting things and the ref, the return of things to do or places to go. Um, but you too might be surprised in what they had to say. So let's have a listen to what they did contribute to, what they were looking forward to the most. What are you looking forward to most when normality resumes? And Aidan, I'm going to start with you on this one. What are you looking forward to most when you can do it? Football training, soccer training, and going on holidays and seeing my friends and going to their houses and stuff, all that. Excellent. Brilliant. Oriane, how about yourself? Uh, I feel like just being able to do something when you want to do it without having to make plans. You can just rock up someone's house and have a cup of tea, sit down, go to the coffee shop whenever you want without having to search for a mask. I feel like just freedom in general. Lovely. Uh, and someone else told me uh, just making a, a pot of tea for four people was what they were looking for. Looking forward to doing it, similar to what you said. It's beautiful. And finally, Alana, what are you going to do when, when the, the shackles are off? What, what are we going to, what's the first thing you're going to look forward to doing? Um, for me is definitely being able to just drive up to my grandmother's house and just gossip with her um, and just catch up on everything we've missed out on to be able then to see other family members, aunts and uncles and, and then eventually to meet the friends and have a night out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sounds good to me. What are you looking forward to most when normality resumes? Uh, sports. I'm excited to go back to playing matches and training sessions with my clubs and also going out to be able to see my friends in larger groups and being able to actually like see their faces. Simple stuff. Yeah. yeah. And school for me, because it gives you something to like wake up in the morning and actually like be like, I'm going to do something because in, in online school for most people, like you don't, you can do the work like half hours kind of. So mm. it's not like, you're doing your full thing in it where in actual school the teachers are walking around your desk they're giving help like especially in a subject like tg like tech graphics uh it's it'll, it's so much more of a help when the teacher's walking around because he can give you like tips and hints where this one because our teacher he's been doing this for many years he just finds it so much easier to do this stuff and he's he hasn't done like yeah like we haven't had this for like five years so he doesn't know how it actually is he's mm. only been doing it for like a year so it's a bit hard for the teacher's perspective because they can't actually get like our full involvement kind of really interesting here how all of the young people so far have talked about connection that's what they're looking forward to most uh and simple things like going to the coffee shop and not having to think about bringing a mask that was a wonderful insight into just the the loss of the simple things. And, you know, again, we kind of underestimate that. And I really liked Patrick's insight here when he described the difference between homeschooling and being in school. And merely the teacher walking around the room and, you know, looking over your shoulder, giving you some hints and tips, how much more supportive that would be than, you know, receiving the information through the screen uh, in a very kind of, delivered uh, way that doesn't encourage that level of interaction and, and humanity. So really poignant insight again there from Patrick, which was really, really good. So I went on to ask them a bit more about what they were looking forward to once the restrictions were lifted. What are you looking forward to the most when lockdowns are over? Going on holidays and seeing my family and Maybe seeing ev everybody in my whole school because I have some friends in older classes, but they will come back in about like a, a week. week. Perfect. Um, I'm mostly excited to see my friends and family because um, like it's been a rough time not being able to see them that much. I'm excited to see my um my um granny and granddad and my nana and also my gaga as well. They're my gaga got vaccinated and um I'm really looking forward to going over when it's all gone. Yeah. I am really excited to see my friends and my new cousin. Fantastic.
a real, again, poignant reflection on no matter what age the kids were and the young people here in primary school, that, that kind of seesaw age group, again, missing families, seeing baby cousins, mixing with uncles, aunts, grandparents, um, and really looking forward to that connection. And that's really reassuring that the value system is so meaningful um, and not kind of getting caught up in materialism. And I do think that's a silver lining of, of the last year. I know this pause has been on far too long and it has created a great deal of distress, but my hope is that it has perhaps reshuffled and realigned our value systems. And at the end of each of the interviews, I asked the young people in true spirit of hearing their voice, if there was something they wanted to contribute to the conversation. And this is what some of them had to say. And guys, finally, is there anything that you wanted to add that I haven't asked you that you feel you want people to hear or say or do you feel <clears throat> people should know? I feel like the government are doing everything they can and I feel like it's just up to the public to like abide by the rules now and hopefully everything will be back to normal by this time next year. Excellent. Love that message. And Alana, any thoughts? To not paint everyone with the same brush. 100%. <laughs> I think we just got the, the, the final sentence of our episode the right there. <laughs> um, guys, uh, thank you so, so much. So there you go. We just got to listen to all the guys talk about what they were looking forward to. And their additions were that, you know, that wider message that, you know, everyone just do what they have to do. Let's just get on with this. Let's get out of it. A real, I was absolutely inspired by the coming together of the, the sense of which they spoke about at the end there. And, you know, not judging everyone by, with the, the, by the same brush uh, as Alana so, so wonderfully put. I hope you enjoyed listening to that. And we have more Young People's Voices episodes coming up. But uh, that was the first one to kick off. And again, we kind of concentrated on the primary school age group for this year this episode and next week we will have an older group maybe the, the more secondary school into college group uh, which have some more different worries but equally as interesting and, un, and, un, and unveiling in terms of the child's experience of the last 12 months but I especially want to thank the young people who contributed so honestly and openly and gave us an insight into what it was like to be a child in the pandemic, what it's like to be a child growing up in 2021. And so a special thank you to all the contributors. Patrick and Keelan, thank you very much. Alana, Orianne and Aidan from Kerry, thank you very much. Gareth for his intro at the start, thank you very much. And to Izzy, Neve, Odrin and Leila, thank you all very, very much for your honesty. And I think every parent listening in got something out of that. And maybe we'll get a little bit more out of next week's episode. But if you have any questions or comments, please let us know. You can get in touch with the show on askingforaparent at gmail.com. We're still doing our listeners' questions episode. So if you have any questions ask to ask, let, it, let us know and we'll get to them. You can get us through the Twitter, Instagram and Facebook handles. But I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we did. And I especially want to thank... Uh, Adam and my production team for putting this together. This was challenging because there's so many voices to put in together, but I think we captured as much as we could of what the young people wanted to say. And I think, I hope they got their 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 chance to shine and, and speak and be heard. And uh, I thank you all for listening. Uh, so until next week, take care, stay safe, and bye for now. <laughs>